0: This podcast has been made possible through funding from Fans for Diversity.
1: Okay, hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Football vs. Homophobia podcast. This episode is part of Football vs Homophobia's Football Pride event, um, which is a one-day event um, taking place across all sorts of platforms, there's loads of interviews, discussions, panels, there's a few quizzes, family-friendly events, so hopefully anyone watching on YouTube at the moment you'll also have kind of seen some of our other events that are going on. Um, It's all very exciting, there's lots of great stuff happening throughout the day. But we're joined by a really exciting guest today on the podcast, um, this person has played for Arsenal and Chelsea um she's been um, out to the u s and um, played out in Sweden as well and it's just been signed by Aston Villa so all sorts of <laughs> kind of great experiences there um that we're going to talk about today um She's also played in the twenty eleven World Cup and the 2012 Olympics as well so hi, Anita. <laughs> Great to have you hi, here hi. with us. Um, Thank you for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, just kind of share share some things that, you know, you'd love people to know about you, kind of a little bit about who you are?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I'm probably considered a veteran in the game now, <laughs> and, um, you, you know, I've had um, great experiences in the women's game from the early days, from when it was amateur, really, to, mm. to the professional game now, and... Um, I think aside from that, football, I've managed to merge two passions of mine football and sort of socio political activism as well. Mm. So, one of the things I like to do is involve myself in projects and uh, other causes where I can lend sort of my platform to other voices as well. Yeah. Um, and I've been able to do that through Amnesty International and Show Racism Red Card and, and now working with Thief Pro, which is mm. all about players having a voice as well within the game. So, um, yeah, that's, like, one of my other passions, along with coffee <laughs> <laughs> and coffee culture in general, which, which I've got into from my experiences playing in Sweden and mm-hmm. Swedish culture and fika and all that. So, oh, yeah, you know, those are my two main passions. So, like, if you want to hang out with me, just take me to a very good cafe, <laughs> cafe and we'll be, like, you know, to life.
1: we'll have to do our research up here yeah. in Glasgow and get, send you a list. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I think it's really fab that you're using your platform to do to make change and to talk about political things because that's something that we talk about so much on this podcast every time we interview someone it comes up mm-hmm. professional footballers need to be mm-hmm. using their platform need to be speaking out that's the only mm-hmm. way we're going to see change so nice. it's really good to see all the work you've been doing mm-hmm. definitely
2: Yeah no I appreciate that I think um over the years you know when I was a younger player I probably would have described myself as more introverted Mm -hmm. and not really, you know, bold in that way to express certain things. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've gotten older and I've got more confidence and also got more life experience, Mm -hmm. I felt in a position to do that more and do Mm -hmm. it more comfortably and be able to learn sort of how to express it in the way that I want. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's important too, and I agree. And I think we're seeing that today, you know, with Mm -hmm. younger players starting to do that and, and the impact it has. Definitely. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you think there's also a link there between the the status and the increased profile that the women's game has got in recent years?
2: Most definitely, because I think ultimately it always comes down to visibility, Mm -hmm. you know. And once the game has gotten more professional and there's more access to it on, you know, broadcast, radio, print media, whatever it is, um, suddenly players' profiles grow with Mm -hmm. that too and and the audience follow them, they grow with them. Um, and, and there's more people that you actually can capture mm. um, in, in, in those platforms. So I think that definitely has played a part in it. And I think actual players recognising the power as well of their own platforms and, mm. you know, the, the people that have access to them um, and using it in the right way, as you're seeing with, you know, the likes of Rashford and mm. Sterling's mm-hmm. also done it. Anyola um, with her case and, and things like that. So, yeah all of that has an opportunity to have some positive impact and change.
1: Mm. And as you say, kind of before, the more people who come out use their platform to um, kind of use their voice, actually, it makes it easier for the younger players, doesn't it? And, um, you know, more people are then recognising the platform and and actually their responsibility in some ways to to come and have those conversations and and be more visible about a range of
2: issues. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think, you know, Uh, like I used the example of Rashford recently and you know he's a young player taking Mm -hmm. on a big cause but obviously it's something he himself has experienced and gone through Um, but he's a role model too and I Mm -hmm. think younger players will look to him and go you know what he's not just a footballer Mm -hmm. he's more than this he's a guy with a real uh, humble quality about him who understands benefits of, of his own experience and, and, and what he wouldn't have maybe been able to achieve without mm-hmm. that kind of support mm-hmm. and how necessary it is for the next generation. And I think that's important for people to see. And, and you know, we've moved away from that time where people used to say, uh, your athletes just do your thing, stay in your lane um, mm-hmm. and not talk about politics or society, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're past that, and I think it's good that sort of the modern era and the next generations are really taking on this activism as well.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Definitely, yeah. If we left politics just to politicians, then we'd be in a bit of a terrible
2: situation. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely,
0: absolutely, I think yeah. it's so powerful for other people to be speaking out, especially people who have like lived experience. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the biggest mm-hmm. problems, I mean, in the UK. I, i'm talking about is that people that are in positions of power in terms of politics and things that are going on in the world are people that don't have lived experience and don't Mm. actually know Mm. like what they're talking about so to have athletes who are from communities Mm. um talking about the issues Uh, faced by that community is really powerful So powerful yeah
2: yeah and i think football is that kind of a game that you know we always talk about how it unites and brings people together Mm. has a chance to sort of bring together integration but Mm. football serves communities most Mm. football clubs are the beacon of the communities and they do lots of other things aside from providing football you Mm. know uh, in terms of foundation support you know mental health support whatever it is Mm -hmm. football is is growing in that in in the industry itself to provide another service so um, actually in one sense athletes and people within the game have a greater sense of the needs of their direct communities in a way mm. that you're saying that politicians are, are removed from mm. often so um yeah i think um, that's a really positive thing for our, our game especially the women's game which has been mm. noted i mm. guess for taking or um supporting lots of issues you know mm. lgbt plus issues and um mental health issues women's mm. issues you know we're t- typically known for that and yeah. we're at a time where we want to see that shift as well happen in the men's game mm.
1: um, and
2: then talk about it more openly and confront them
1: mm-hmm. definitely so Anita we've talked a little bit about um kind of the younger generation where did it all start for you you know what sparked that interest in football how did you um yeah where did it all start and how did you beca- go on that journey to become a professional footballer
2: well I think for me it's like when you're young you don't you live in your own bubble (laughs) when you're young, all you care about is your mates playing after school with all your friends. And, and that, and life is great. It's that feeling. And I started playing football when I was about like six, seven Mm -hmm. in and around my house, you know, with uh, family members and and friends. Um, And then my passion for the game just kept growing. You know, I I lived on an estate, so I met lots of kids all the time Mm -hmm. um, in my area. So you were never sure of a football opportunity opportunity to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd go out in the backyard and and everyone just like play Wembley and all these games, you know? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Do you know what I mean? And so um, I'd always play with all the guys in my area. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I talk about that bubble, football's the thing that connected all of us, no matter our gender Mm -hmm. differences, Mm -hmm. Religion, race, whatever—I—I I, I got to meet so many different kids, but we were all the same, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because of our direct immediate surroundings and 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 our interest in football. Um, so that kind of continued, you know. I, I go to school. I think about it now, and I'm like, in primary school, I would play in the playground <laughs> during the breaks. In, you know, <laughs> the worst skirts and uniform. <laughs> <you know? laughs> For me, it, it like never crossed my mind that like mm-hmm. this isn't something I should be doing, mm-hmm. or you know that people would perceive it as like why is she playing football, why is she whatever. Mm-hmm. I just did it because I enjoyed it, and yeah. as long as the kids around me accepted it, mm-hmm. it was never really an issue. You know, the, mm-hmm. the issues that I encountered later on were just that some guys get annoyed <laughs> that <laughs> there's a girl that's good enough to, yeah. to hang and, and compete and play, and then they want to like chop my legs off mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember. Um, going to a boys' team in my local area, and one and one of the kids I knew from my school, and his dad was like one of the coaches, and he was so annoyed <laughs> at how good I was. <laughs> he was spent the whole session just trying to take me out, really? literally trying to wipe me out wow. to the point that his dad had to like drag him, you know, and be like, mm. "Have a seat." Oh, but um, yeah. for me, I think it like spurred me on more because mm-hmm. it was the recognition that oh, okay, I'm actually good enough. <laughs> Mm. Or, you know, people see me as good enough to play and hang and compete. Mm. Um, I, I want to keep going. Um, and, and that's how I really um, started. But I didn't get into club football until I was about 14. Oh, really? And that was at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and really, when we talk about role models and people that support and push you, I was really lucky I had a head of PE that pushed me and said, look, there's a tryout in your area uh, Arsenal are in town mm. you definitely need to go like mm. I'm pushing you you better do it sort mm. of thing so I went with uh, some friends from school I was like yeah whatever this is no big deal <laughs> didn't know anything about women's football didn't really know there was a league a structure anything um, and it happened to be Rachel Yankee taking a session and Claire Wheatley who both were uh, Arsenal players mm-hmm. and uh, from that moment onwards I just they were like we want you to come back come to the Centre of Excellence train with our youth team did that then after that session I signed with the club and and really that's where that is the point that my football career or journey began I would say into club mm, wow that's amazing that's so cool
0: yeah, yeah that's, that's really
1: real. cool and also I laugh because I was definitely also that that young girl who played uh, in like terrible long skirts and I was playing football in the playground. <laughs> so I, I definitely have memories of that um I was just going
0: to say, yeah, I think that that thing about, like, having a role model is so important mm. because mm-hmm. while you can be motivated by people's, like, kind of negative attitudes, like the boys, mm. you know, being annoyed that you're better and stuff, um, that motivation can only get you so far. And to have those people that kind of push you into it mm. and support you to do it is just so important, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. 100%. And
2: I think um, for me it was like, okay, someone... Be- believes in my talent, or believes in me, and that, you know, that person also tried to build within me the self-confidence and mm-hmm. self-esteem, you know, and I think that's important for young people in general when you're younger, because that is actually what you need, along with resilience, to get mm-hmm. to where you're going, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean, and, and so I, I think that was really crucial for me, but, you know, for you guys, like, how did you, or your passion for football begin? So um
1: so I think I'm probably the bigger football fan. (laughs) Yeah, I was always playing football in the playground and, you know, kind of just hanging out I just loved running around really. And um my dad would always take me and my sister to our non-league, local non-league club and stuff, and so we'd always be be playing. And um and that was Mum's quality time. She loved it when we were out of the house. And then at one point said, you know, look, if you're talking about football all the time, you're gonna have to start playing, you know, and kind of join a team and, and be involved that way. So, you know, I love playing in a team. I was never the best footballer, <laughs> but you know, it's just for me, football has always been um, more than kind of just the playing aspect of it. You know, it's been the social side of it. It's been the mental health elements. It's been kind of developing that community and, and you know, finding friends and, and people within within your team, which I've always really enjoyed. And then actually kind of something that links in with something I'd love to ask you. For me, I realise that there's kind of a whole different world in football is kind of a career other than just playing you know you've got the coaching side of it as well but actually there's all the backroom staff and kind of the administration side of things and so for me I spotted that what you were saying really football has that power to engage communities who perhaps are either underrepresented or you know aren't currently engaged with and you know you can use football to reach out to them and start to um, build that connection, build that relationship. And actually, you know, it might not just be the football that you're, you know, supporting that community with. Actually, then there are other conversations, you can have other support that you can offer. And so actually that's the big draw in football for me, you know, those those wider benefits that impact society. Um, I don't know if you want to... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't really
0: follow Beatrice <laughs> in a good way because <laughs> I my story isn't as nice. Well, I um played football as a kid. Mm-hmm. My mum coached the Oswald Road girls' uh, <laughs> team and yeah, I played as a kid, but honestly like I'm dyspraxic and have always mm-hmm. been like really tall and quite fat to be honest and you know, I've just never been like very sporty person. Mm-hmm. I did love football as a kid. Um but yeah just kind of stopped playing any sport for such a long time and as a teenager and then I do this now (laughs) (laughs) because um you know I believe that queer people should Mm. be included in every aspect of society Mm. and somehow I've kind of fallen into sport and so now I'm (laughs) passionate about you know (laughs) queer inclusion in sport so that's kind of why I do what I do so work Mm. for FEH also work for um Mm. Leap Sports Scotland and Pride Sports and do bits everywhere but um yeah generally I'm I see myself as more of an activist than Mm. a sports person
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's really nice that There are people in so many different areas of the game who are activists and who are kind of working to make a change. Actually, there's you as a player um, and, you know, you see your platform as a real way to kind of make change, kind of use your voice, talk about your experiences, but also broader experiences, you know. And and I think my message when I talk to people about football is it's not always just about playing. There are so many other ways to make a difference and to use football to, um, yeah, to make a change for, for the better, really.
2: Yeah, definitely and I think it's like like you were saying earlier about um there's so many other roles within the game mm-hmm. I think unless you're in that bubble of the football world do you mm-hmm. really realize it always mm-hmm. and and like you're saying about you need to like break in those barriers so that people recognize that actually might be another area of the game that you might enjoy mm-hmm. or be very good at you know whether it be officiating physios I don't know massage therapy whatever it is there's actually so many jobs Mm, in football um and and that's what I always try to tell people and encourage Mm. people is to see that you know there's a whole world for you aside Mm. from playing if that's not your thing um in the game that still has the element of community and and you know integration in that way Mm. that we try to as best as we can promote Mm. um but yeah definitely
1: and Anita I'm curious did you ever see yourself becoming a, a footballer or kind of even a professional footballer? Did, did that kind of change for you when you signed for Arsenal or did you never really see that as kind of what you'd be doing in the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I was young, I always thought I'd be um, either physio, a physio mm-hmm. or a, um, a journalist. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Those are the things, you know, when you're at school and they go, careers, what do you want to do? And I like, oh, I think maybe one of these two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But um, never never a, a professional footballer because mm. it, it just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't in my psyche. It didn't mm. exist really mm. in in our well, not our, our world at least in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't sort of my ambition at the time because I, I just didn't think there was a a career path towards it mm. as such. So I always was like studying, you know, at school and whatever, and went to university thinking that I was mm-hmm. eventually just going to go off in another trajectory and it just so happened that um after playing in the uk you know for arsenal those years and then a small stint at chelsea when the us league came around and it was fully professional and i got drafted i was like okay this might be a once in a lifetime opportunity Mm -hmm. to experience so i was like you know i should definitely just do this and mm. and see. You know, I didn't know what it meant to be a professional or <laughs> <laughs> what the uh, the demands or you know would be or anything. But it was just exciting, and I just mm. felt like it was an opportunity to to start something that hopefully would continue for the future. Yeah, um, definitely. and that's and that's really what happened. And then from that point on, as time has gone on, the game has continued to sort of evolve all over the world in different. Spots, mm. you know, from semi pro to professional. And I think it's on this steady trajectory to trying to get, you know, closer in, in that area um, mm. within clubs and within different nations as well.
1: Definitely. And what was your experience like out in the States and then kind of compared to Sweden as well? I, I actually can't imagine what football mm. in women's football in Sweden would have been like. How was that for yeah.
2: you? Uh, well, in America, you know, it, you ha- you have that whole entertainment uh, mm. element of America in general and, and the way sports is presented and stuff so it was very much that feeling like you know they wanted to do it in a very packaged pr- mm. way that to promote the game that's entertaining as well right. mm. and in terms of the playing and everything it was exciting because you, there were you know league rules like you had to have five internationals per team or whatever mm. and then you know, domestic U.S. players, national team players. So you had a good blend of, of ex- different players and youth as well. Mm-hmm. College players getting drafted into the league. Oh, um, cool. Which So it's like a, a bed of all these different components coming to, together. And I actually felt like I learned and experienced so much mm-hmm. in a short period of time. Because, you know, my first uh, housemate was a Brazilian player you know, in that experience, I learned so much about Brazil, the culture, Mm. the food, the language. Um, And I I thought it was great, you know, to also compete and play, train with some of the best players in the world Mm. as well to to develop myself. Um, So, yeah, that whole experience and and the culture of of Americans, you know, the the winning mentality, Mm. the, the work ethic, the the leadership, you know, I played at Heather O'Reilly at the time, I had Christy Rampone, who was our captain, you know, to have those people around me that could influence me as a person as well in a, in a good way on and off the pitch um, is, is something you can't imagine, like you can't ask for. You never expect, I never expected to play with world champions, you know, mm. in my career, but that that happened and I, it was an amazing experience. So I think it's a lot more, you know, bold, Um, very driven Mm -hmm. uh, culture you know because they want to succeed they believe in themselves Mm -hmm. they push everyone they pull everyone along with them was my experience Mm -hmm. and in Sweden it's it's different I think Sweden what I liked about Sweden was the less hierarchical way Mm -hmm. to structure a team or team sport and that you know everyone kind of has a voice and everyone should share their opinion and and that how of has so nice you know, with the coaches too and you know you, everyone is equal in a sense of respect and you know, as you as adults mm-hmm. whether you're 18 or 30 plus like there's this feeling of like well you all are important you all have a voice you all should have a part to play mm-hmm. um and i enjoyed that element of it uh, that freedom of expression um and i i would also say you know that's kind of where my social activism started to to come through more because I was surrounded I lived in Malmo for four years oh wow when I was at Rosengård and Malmo is really like a very diverse part of Sweden but it's also got this like artistic you know hipster whatever and (laughs) it's sort of underground social political activism going on and you you bump into people like Mm. in a cafe or on the street and you get in conversation and they're like come to this or there's Mm. this conference or this thing and and for me that's when I got to sort of experience that element of it aside Mm. from playing in Sweden which I really enjoyed that cultural aspect and my club was heavily involved in projects to do with refugees in football as well and Mm and also projects in South Africa to build the self-esteem of girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so that element of it combining was where I found that in Sweden, in Sweden, at, least at my club, there was this more holistic picture of what the game can do mm-hmm. for women and girls, not only in the country, but you know abroad and, and in the direct community.
1: Mm-hmm. And that must have been a really nice contrast in a way from yeah as you say the states where it is all about the perhaps the showcase of women's football and um yeah perhaps i don't know if that's fair to say perhaps you know getting the viewer numbers sponsorship side of things and actually sweden a very different approach to how you can use football
2: yeah well because i think in sweden you know the main aim for my club at least uh, my second club there was that they just wanted to get as many girls into a position where they had access, mm-hmm. first and foremost, to the game. And then, secondly, that they felt that girls and women deserve to have professional teams mm-hmm. or professional league, a professional setup where we have the facilities to train mm-hmm. and the right support around us. They were like, that's the, the fundamental thing for them. Mm-hmm. That's the foundation. And then, whatever happens from then on, you know, is a building, is building towards that sustainability through sponsors and things mm-hmm. like that. And so if from their starting point in conception, for me, that was like, wow, yeah. this is great. Like, these are people that just recognise that really sport should be for everyone mm-hmm. at an equal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also towards the elite game, making sure that, the, that there is some sort of, well, you know, aim to get some parity. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that
1: that for me was a great experience as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds really refreshing, doesn't
2: yeah. it? Yeah.
0: And I actually have been told by somebody, you might be able to say whether this is true or not, <laughs> um, that in Sweden, like, the women's game is just as important as the men's game. Like, everybody mm-hmm. goes out and watches it, and it's not just women that watch it. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, everybody... Um, really sees cool. it at the same level but that was a Swedish person so maybe they were being biased about <laughs> their country
2: yeah I mean I would say that at least in my experience when i played at we had really dedicated supporters and they were a range of ages you know they prepped songs like <laughs> they you know committed with their labels and tags and and I thought that was great to see mm. a Darth of different demographic of people. Mm -hmm. But um, I think what in terms of audiences, you know, I think uh, there's been a drop off probably, Mm -hmm. and there was during my time there. Mm -hmm. And that's largely to do with the economy, Mm -hmm. you you know, the the money and the game and and the support and and also promotion of the sport. And that always is to do with visibility if you don't broadcast games you don't yeah. put it out there mm. most people aren't even aware it's happening uh, and that's always been part of the problem for the women's game is getting you know getting that access and, and getting that showcase out mm. there for everyone um, and i just think as the game has continued to grow you know i think what they've always been great at is developing good talent young mm. players they've had a you know historical strong league for mm. for decades But the game as a whole has expanded and the global sort of economy of football and the women's game has grown. So Mm. you're seeing more players leave their home nations and play abroad, play in different clubs and get other opportunities, Mm. which can also be good and bad, obviously, Mm. when you look at from a development perspective and people wanting to develop their own talent at home. But then on a global perspective, sometimes that's how you drive standards somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. the same for any movement when we talk about equality, even women's rights, for example. you know, mm. if, if something's bubbling away in one nation, and we, because we're so globalised now with social media, we see that, we're like, wait a minute, we don't have that. How do we mm. push for that? How can we ride off the, the wave of this change? And Definitely. Mm-hmm. Football and most things are similar in that sense. You know, mm. The standards keep improving here, then other nations go, oh, wait, mm-hmm. we can't allow this gap to keep growing. Mm. We've got to find a way. Absolutely, so that, yeah. That could also be a good thing as well. You can yeah. certainly
1: try to drive change and progress quicker, can't it? Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. yeah, can be really really positive. Um we've been talking a lot to other people on our podcast and you know we we've always tried to use this podcast as a platform to raise people's voices especially kind of minorities within um and kind of individuals who've got intersexing identities. Um and we, we've kind of focused a lot on um, kind of the Black Lives Matter, um, um, kind of current situation, especially within mm. football and people's experiences as kind of black individuals within football. And you know, I think your um, experience will be really interesting, kind of from a professional footballer's perspective, um, also being a gay woman as well. You know, what what has your experience been of of being a a, a, a gay woman, a black woman in football?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good, uh, good, good question, a broad question. I think it <laughs> yeah. always, um, it always um, is, a, is an interesting one to discuss because, for me, when I got into the game uh, in the earlier days, at Arsenal, for example, you know, I, I had other uh, black players, mixed-race players in my mm-hmm. team. And, you know, even as a youth player, I, I was playing with lots of players from other backgrounds as well and other identities. And mm-hmm. so, for me, I didn't experience... Some of the negativity that we're talking about mm-hmm. these days in, in the game, in terms of racism or discrimination and mm-hmm. things like that, I think you know in the women's game you can all you can automatically say we're all discriminated against <laughs> to one degree yeah. because yeah. we we've never really had the sort of equal footing mm-hmm. in terms of um, support, investment, things Definitely. from the beginning, and that's steadily happening, but it's still got a ways to go, mm-hmm. um, and in terms of race and things like that, I just, um, and sexuality, mm-hmm. um, football was probably the, the first space that I got to meet people who happened to identify mm-hmm. as gay or part of the LGBT
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, community uh, from a younger age, and so um, for me, I, I never really saw it as anything different, mm-hmm. or not the norm, you know, mm-hmm. I just took those people as they were, as my friends, my colleagues, Mm. my teammates. Um, And I think over it was the outside of that bubble is probably where I felt the most Mm. insecure. Do you know what I mean? In in other spaces where you're at school or whatever you are in different um, social environments where I didn't maybe always feel that I could be 100% myself or maybe Mm. I filtered myself or whatever. And I just think as I got older, a certain level of confidence when it comes to sexuality at least Mm -hmm. and being ready yourself to be your authentic self being who you are Uh that I had to find that journey and go along that journey you know my in my own time Mm -hmm. you know even though I felt that you know there's lots of people around me who are quite open with their sexuality Mm -hmm. or their relationships I wasn't in that place then to to do that for myself because I was still probably trying to understand who I was mm-hmm. and who I am. And then I got to a time where I did feel comfortable enough to come out to my family or, or, mm. and then beyond, you know. Mm, um, yeah. But like but like most people in the LGBT community can understand, you're always coming out to some degree, unless mm-hmm. yeah, you're doing it in this, like, mass way where you either are publicly announcing mm. that through a press or whatever, like, I'm this or I'm that. Mm. Um, which is also can be a frustrating thing because you just want to be who you are mm-hmm. and, and 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 not really have to discuss it always in a way that's course, so yeah. pronounced mm-hmm. that you're just like, I'm letting you know <laughs> and see into my life yeah and get a feel for who I am by mm-hmm. just being me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I post stuff or I talk about stuff related to my relationship myself, that's me just being me. Mm-hmm. Um, but having to declare it is like another thing itself you know it's Mm -hmm. like you don't have straight people always going I'm straight this is my marriage like children so definitely there's that element of it too but um yeah in terms of race I think for me what I've really understood over the years is I feel quite thankful for the most part I've had good experiences regardless of being a minority in football Mm -hmm. um with the people that teammates and coaches and whatever. But I think in terms of, I, I notice now even more so, the structural barriers I do that mm, yeah. affect lots of, um, you know, marginalised groups mm. that want to participate in, in the game and get into the game. Mm. And that's all to do with the way the game has expanded mm. and and how clubs also aren't situated in areas they used to be where they run these kinds of programs, whether it be grassroots or, Mm, you know, beyond. They're in areas that actually exclude lots of people or, you know, in in my opinion. So that is structural because Mm -hmm. that's something that can, you know, definitely be um, reformed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess the one thing I've always experienced or noticed, I think the challenge is that I'm an older player now. I'm quite confident in myself in terms of if something was wrong or, you know, another player is struggling or whatever, Mm -hmm. that I would support them Mm -hmm. or I would help them find the right support in that capacity. But I do worry for the few players that are in the game from other backgrounds who don't necessarily have that, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean, all over Mm -hmm. the country. And by that, we always look to the field as being the diverse part of the game in terms of talent and that's mm-hmm. great but it's nowhere else around us it's not in the coaching staff mm-hmm. it's not in the backroom mm-hmm. stuff it's not in the you know whatever the main structures and platforms within the get the football uh, club structure or governance mm-hmm. structure
1: definitely and,
2: and that's a worry because it, then it makes me wonder how do our needs and our, our views get presented mm-hmm. represented mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. in the areas where power is actually executed yeah absolutely uh, and how
1: do people recognize that as well you know actually if those decision makers are stereotypically old white men you know they're not going to recognize that there's an issue that you know there aren't that representation of black coaches within the game or black female yeah. coaches or asian male coaches they, they aren't going to notice that there's an absence there and recognize that change needs to happen that's the issue definitely and
2: i think you know language you know i think language is so underrated like in the sense that people don't realize that yeah there's lots of us that are you know that have different cultures that we grow up with mm-hmm. and so you know your understanding of my culture might be different but mm-hmm. the way you talk to me or refer to i don't know something i eat or mm-hmm. something I, you know my hair or whatever mm-hmm might actually be negative might actually be racist might Mm. actually be unconscious bias um and and if you don't have that understanding or education or even just other people around that people mingle with all the time um then you're going to encounter more and more of these problems to some degree uh uh, so yeah that's my my kind of concern you know Mm. for the younger generations coming through and also you know the visibility aspect when you don't see people Mm that come, you know, look like you or from Mm -hmm. your area or whatever, making it into these positions where we look to celebrities and athletes as successful, then they might not see that as a position that they can reach or strive Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. or even understand the pathway. They don't know how to get there, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and that's hard because if you don't have people in the system or the ecosystem to some Mm -hmm. degree that will just come and pluck someone they recognize okay Mm. you you're from exactly the same area i know it's going to be a bit more challenging but i'm going to help you Mm. get here mentoring supporting you or giving you the information as how to get involved it's even more challenging the more Mm. and more people get removed and distanced from the people that have these barriers and um yeah that's that's really i think my thing because I you know I'm still in the game fortunately now and I just think there's fewer in my opinion um at least in the women's game coming through Mm. and I think that's worrying because I don't think it's reflective Mm. of the societies or communities we live in at all sure
1: yeah and it's interesting isn't it you know I wonder if I mean, there's a lot of ifs in this question, but you know, if, if there was professional women women's football when you were growing up, and you saw someone that looked like you, actually, you might have recognised that's a career that I could have because you know, there's already someone who has a similar background to me who's already playing, and, and I have no doubt that there'll be lots of young girls who'll be looking at you, your career, and thinking, oh, great, you know, that that's possible for me. Um, yeah, but I think that's where the rest of football. And the, the the structures around football and certainly the governance it all needs to um do do that reflection do that learning and recognize where the gaps are where you know it's not quite going right at the moment or where it's just stuck in its current ways mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, for sure. and i'm just wondering do you have well you obviously will but you know what what are your kind of current view i was going to say do you have any current views on the situation in football but i'm going to rephrase that to what are your views <laughs> kind yeah. of you know especially the discussion going on around racism and um the, the structures and the progress that needs to happen in football
2: well it's it's, it's one of two things actually i think that it's like there are policies in place mm-hmm. to try to counteract some of these situations that arise. So Mm -hmm. yeah, if a racist incident occurs at a stadium or football pitch or whatever, there's obviously rules and stuff, regulations in place to try to um, manage that. Mm -hmm. But in in actual fact, I think the problem is that too often the rules aren't good enough (laughs) to really counteract the issues Mm -hmm. or the people and the people deciding on the rules are not the ones that tend to be affected by these issues, so that's also an issue in itself because you need people that can shed light and and give perspective and shared experience Mm. on those things to to actually inform how you regulate and and sort of um, put policies in place to protect players and supporters that encounter racism or discriminations, Mm. sexism, all of those things. Um, uh, So that's like one of my views on that, but Mm. I think obviously... The key thing is the same with gender discrimination, you know, if you don't have on your boards, in the boardroom executive management operations, mm. people, women or people from black and other backgrounds and, you know, or who identify with different sexualities, whatever, in these spaces that can inform what young people coming into the game mm. might experience and might need, then how really are we going to create the the, the changes um, and embed it within the structures mm. to benefit everybody mm. in the long-term?
0: Definitely, yeah. 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 And it is literally like we probably can cut this out because sometimes I just make statements that aren't—they're <laughs> a bit tangenty. But uh, it is literally the definition of discrimination and oppression. It's when people are um have prejudices against a group of people, but the people that hold the prejudice are in position of power, and that's how oppression continues, and that's how the cycle continues, and until the people, until there's, like, equality in the positions of power, there's not going to be equality in the rest of the world. You Mm -hmm. know, I just think...
2: Exactly. (laughs) That's a very very good way. Am I still (laughs) that Please do. (laughs) Explain that point. No, 100%. Because I think, at the end of the day, one of the biggest problems we have is just transparency. Mm. with the most things with a lot of things that affect us as individuals and society as a whole is the lack of transparency when we know what is going on when we know how these structures are in place why they're in place how do people get hired how do people get recruited Mm. what are the pathways can we really tackle the 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 issues the gaps the you know the closed networks the whatever um Mm. and get to the sort of heart of these problems because it's not just about obviously placing people there, it's also understanding the barriers. Why don't they get there? Mm-hmm. They might be in the ecosystem but for some reason they just fall to the wayside or, you know, they they don't fit the the, the status quo or the, the the network in terms of, you know, we go for golf every weekend, so this is why so and so gets hired or whatever. Like yeah. I really believe that's part of it mm-hmm. as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Yeah and I think I think it follows on from that point um you know there there have been some really interesting conversations recently in light of the Black Matter protests and the the current discussions going on around racism and um I'm, I'm sure you probably would have caught it I think there was something on Sky Sports where there was a bit of a discussion around women's football that was going on and I think it was yeah Sue Smith um was kind of talking about her experience playing football and kind of quite often they'd have a match um dedicated to um kind of a campaign so in this instance it was kick it out um and she was saying you know they would just put on a t-shirt they'd wear it to training and then they would play their game and you know that game was dedicated to kick it out but there was never really any more steps in terms of education about well, well what are the issues that we we need to recognize that we need to understand and um You know, she was saying actually perhaps it would have been useful to have, you know, those discussions on the training field, not in the team talk before you're going out onto the pitch, you know, but she was suddenly looking back and really reflecting on there's all these things going on, there's loads of different campaigns, but what is the way to make it meaningful and so that players just are okay this week it's football versus homophobia for instance or this week it's stonewall rainbow laces or kick it out actually what are the steps that that need to be taken so that players fully understand what's going on as well do you is that a situation that you perhaps recognize or have any any thoughts on
2: you yeah, know well, I just think I agree you know with sue and I think um that's the thing everybody is is screaming for right now is that they're just done with campaigns they're done with the token gestures they're yeah. done with you know yeah. posting up a t-shirt or whatever <laughs> on your social media um we're we're beyond that time and people are ready I think they're ready for the change they're ready to Definitely. to have discussions and 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 gain uh, better knowledge and be better people ultimately it's a um i think education is obviously a key part of that and i think you know when we talk about education you know it's not to say the campaigns are wrong but it should be accompanied with some form of education Mm -hmm. or you know um or conference or whatever you know within the clubs structures Mm -hmm. and and it's not always pertaining to players i think there's a Mm -hmm. misconstrued like structure that it's all about the players need discussion often not Mm -hmm. always But I think a large proportion of players have the better understanding of diversity because they're surrounded by diversity, especially in the modern game, Mm. on a day-to-day basis. If anything, they probably interact with more diverse people, than most people in society Mm. on a regular basis. But it's important for players as well. But I think the wider structures within the club structures, you know, backroom staff, coaches, Mm -hmm. you know, operations, people within the club, structure also need the education as you would when you normally talk about things that go on go on with human resources to do with you know gender discrimination also mm-hmm. I don't see any difference in that. It's a business, it runs the same way. Yep. Everyone should have the education, the formal education yeah. in that way. So um yeah, I just think everyone understands there is more that football and sport can do within mm-hmm. its own kind of um world. To, to better educate within the game and, mm-hmm. and try to lead by example. Because if we can lead by example um, with the audience we have, it will definitely have an impact or pos- hopefully a positive impact for the individuals that support the game, you know, who go off into their own work, you know, and life, family spaces as well, to carry on those conversations and to educate their families or their children or their colleagues or they, within their industries. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that needs to come into place. And I also think in terms of the governance perspective, the three-step protocol against racist incidents on the pitch doesn't really cut it, in my opinion. It's nonsense. Because you're literally placing the onus on the victim Mm -hmm. to take on um, the abuse more than one time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Saying, Mm -hmm. how many times can you take abuse before you've had enough? Mm -hmm. Like you know, the minute that it should be flipped and, you know, the person dishing that out
1: is the one who should be punished straight away,
2: directly you know, if it takes the whole team walking off Mm. and I've discussed this before, I think it's about empowering players to support their teammates, you know, Mm. if it takes all of you either holding the ball or walking off the pitch to get that across, Mm. to force the you know, the powers that be to to create these policy changes and Mm. so be it um, you know what I mean it, it, some of these issues are more important than the mm. actual act of playing Absolutely. and it will create you know, much more advanced change that we want to see, hopefully uh, than not doing it
0: mm-hmm. mm. yeah and we've actually like the last episode I think we were talking about mm. the um, like three strikes rule mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and yeah it's just a joke it's just a joke. I didn't really have anything to say. <laughs> we should just cut that out. But I was actually reading a really interesting Gal Dem mm. article about it, which is why I was talking about it the last time and just about how other incidents in football just mm. don't it's not it's mm. not, you know, three strikes or whatever it is it's like mm. immediately if something this thing happens then mm. action is taken whereas mm. with racism it's like this big long mm. delayed process and actually no it should be it needs to be clear it needs to be mm. if something happens then action is taken by referee or mm. somebody higher up and it shouldn't be on players to even have to do something yeah. i appreciate that doing something is like you know walking off the pitch or doing whatever is really important for now but it shouldn't have to be that way mm-hmm. is what i'm trying to say yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah
2: i couldn't agree more i think um like you said you know for example if a player wears a brand in a mm. competition that mm. goes against the competition mm. rules for that uh, governing body then they get fined significant amounts of money Crazy. because yeah. it pertains to money mm. but yeah. You know, we're still we're having to debate about racism or mm-hmm. discrimination. Mm-hmm. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That should be embedded as like, you know, obviously part of the human rights manifesto mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah. everyone, yeah. including
0: right. sport. Definitely. Exactly. And I mean, not to get go down this rabbit hole, but you know, the brand thing is related to the club's income financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know that's mm. why they're prioritizing it because that's what yeah. they're focused on their money uh, mm. coming in and you know some some that some issue going on with the players is the least of their priority but yeah. it needs to be their priority because mm. you know <sighs> racism is such a big issue we'll have to end it to <laughs> i lost my
1: oomph at the <laughs> end, <of> the end. <laughs> no but i think that's the thing isn't it because we're now talking about walking off the pitch as such a radical act yeah. as so you know actually that's something that the whole team has to do actually it really shouldn't be a radical act because there's an incident of racism that's happened that players and you know everyone should not be tolerating mm-hmm. so actually walking off the pitch really should not be seen as a last resort or you know all of these things it it should just be unacceptable that a racist incident has taken place. And actually if clubs and the governing bodies uh, need to put more money in for stewarding or for whatever, whatever needs to happen at grounds and stuff, then that money needs to be found and needs to be invested because this is a serious issue and it's not, it doesn't feel as though it's been taken as seriously as it it really should be at the moment.
0: Mm. Yeah. Beatrice do you want to ask something else or are we going into those last two questions what i think yeah let's know? let's head into yeah. the last couple then yeah sorry about that <laughs> su- as i said at the beginning we are super unprofessional so you know we just <laughs>
1: we'll just go with it we get okay. someone to edit <laughs> <laughs> okay um So what does the future look like for you Anita? Obviously you've signed for Aston Villa which is super exciting. They've obviously got really big ambitions. Ennio Luko is the director of football there. So you know kind of looking forward to the next stage. Have you, I hate asking it, but you know have you thought about kind of other um, areas you want to go into in football and you know kind of other things that you want to try out? Yeah no for sure. Um, I'm super
2: excited to be joining Aston Villa because I think it's a, a, a new journey that the club itself is embarking on as well. Obviously, being newly promoted, and no, um, like... I've never been in that position either to, to be at a club that's been newly promoted. But mm-hmm. to, to share on something that could you know grow and develop into something really good is mm-hmm. exciting and mm-hmm. an exciting prospect. Knowing that we have the backing and support of the club, mm-hmm. and for me personally, um, I think I, I also want to utilize this time as a last. Sort of you know, my last playing stint mm-hmm. in football to also um get into coaching mm-hmm. uh, and and to you know I it wasn't an area that I thought I would go into <laughs> or want to do in it previously, mm-hmm. but now I feel like it's important as well, mm-hmm. um in the in the women's game to, to, to be there, to be visible, to try mm-hmm. to make a difference. So um I wanna use this time to, to get my coaching badges and hopefully, you know, be able to contribute and give back to the game on the mm-hmm. other side of the pitch, and um, as well as continue to do all the other things I've been doing mm-hmm. in this meantime with my activism, and uh, you know work with FIFA Pro and Amnesty and all those other organisations. I I think it's you know it, that's the beauty of football. I can still do so many things alongside it, and um, the broadcasting stuff, and keep mm-hmm. you know talking and chatting about the thing <laughs> I love. The most <laughs> yeah. which is football, mm-hmm.
1: and football <laughs> what a dream in
2: general so yeah you know hopefully i'll be in in some form in one of these capacities either behind the game trying mm-hmm. to drive it from there um, and, and kind of you know policy change and stuff mm-hmm. like that or, or otherwise and or coaching so hopefully that's yeah. what
1: i'll be that sounds really exciting and there's yeah. so many opportunities aren't there and you, you know i think we've kind of been discussing throughout there's so many more opportunities that football offer in terms of your playing career though, are there any highlights that you look back on and, you know, kind of enjoy reminiscing about?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> That's not in a braggy way, <laughs> You've got scrapbooks <laughs> full of everything. <laughs> but I just mean that, you obviously have had a long career mm. so far, uh, which I'm really, you know, feel blessed to have had mm. so far. And um, uh, I can never forget my unbeaten Arsenal side very Um, cool yeah quadruple (laughs) side 2007 Mm -hmm. um had such great leaders in that team the likes Mm -hmm. of Jane Ludlow Kira Grant who you know were great and Emma Byrne and Mm -hmm. Alex Scott all these players in that team uh, Leanne Sanderson Mm -hmm. you know we grew up together a lot of us and we shared a great experience, a history making experience for the club in the, mm. and in the English game, Elise Smith, of course. Um, so, you know, winning that season, all four titles was incredible. Amazing. Haven't been able to replicate it since. <laughs> uh, so that, that's definitely one of the highlights, I think. Mm. I think the other highlight, well, two highlights I'd say is winning the championship with my US team, Sky mm. Blue, in the first season. That's because cool. it was such a roller coaster season for us. It started off very badly, So, which is a good story for everyone <laughs> out there. So, you know, and several games on the trot at the start and, and mm. still put it back. Mm. Um, but we had a lot of transition, you know, coaches getting fired and wow. we really had great leaders that stepped up, you know. Uh, Christy Rampone at the time came to play a coach type thing and Heather Riley as well. Um, were just unbelievable characters and the kind of characters we needed and the team in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd say the Olympics, you know, mm. just to be at a homegrown tournament, you know, with mm-hmm. all our home support, uh, our family and friends and and just that it's an experience I don't think I'll, ever, I'll never mm-hmm. get again because
0: mm-hmm.
2: to be around all these other athletes as well uh, was incredible from all over the world and to share that space, and mm-hmm. seeing some of my own idols in the inner room is yeah, so cool, you, never expect that. <laughs> <laughs> can, you know. But when you see you, same and people walking in, mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh my god, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the Frank girl that, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's um, very cool. That was incredible. And to kick off the tournament, you know, mm. um, to literally kick it off as the, the first player to do that with Kelly was incredible so um wow yeah Yeah. i think those are probably the three highlights but of course you know there's so many Mm -hmm. um that i've
0: had yeah and those three are pretty amazing so yeah (laughs) that was a good answer (laughs) um so obviously we are here for football pride Mm. so to finish up can you tell us something or multiple things over the noise of my dog scratching (laughs) on the door (laughs) that you're proud of just to finish us up could be anything
2: (laughs) put you on the spot (laughs) okay what am I proud of well I guess first and foremost I'm proud to be a gay black woman and Mm. you know in in a community of people that have you know, responded really well mm-hmm. to to me sharing my experiences and my story and have been extremely supportive. Um, you know, I'm proud to be uh, in a sport that allows me to sort of be authentic and 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 lend my voice to others mm-hmm. as well, um, without really any restraint at the moment, <laughs> touch with. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just proud that there are people out there that you, no matter what their struggles and and challenges they're facing, they they keep trying to persevere mm. and they keep trying to break the, these barriers that we've talked about. That you know that we need them as well. Mm. We need them to be pioneers for the the betterment of, of society and and football itself.
1: Mm. Thank you so much. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, fantastic. We really enjoyed having a chat to you. There's some fantastic things that we spoke about, really interesting conversations, and hope everyone who is watching and then subsequently listening also enjoyed that too.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Anita.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. So, if you want any more
0: information, you can find us at www.footballvs.homophobia.com. We're also on Twitter at FBHTweets. We're on Facebook and you can just search Football versus Homophobia and you'll find us. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also on
1: Instagram at football underscore V underscore homophobia. Yeah. I'm sure you'll be able to find us there. And use the hashtag um, FVH2020 and uh, we'll see all of the stuff you post.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening.
1: And see you next month.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.